0: I ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 43. Psalm 43. Two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 42. I titled that message, The Roller Coaster Ride of Faith. Psalm 42 was written by the sons of Korah, who were the songwriters and musicians and worship leaders in the tabernacle. But it was written in the voice of King David, I believe. And it expresses, in Psalm 42, the emotional turmoil of a life in chaos. Maybe you can relate to that. It was likely written during his time of exile from Jerusalem, as he was fleeing from his own son Absalom, who had turned the hearts of the people away from David through deceit and through treachery. So we can understand why Psalm 42 is bursting with emotion. If it is truly written from the voice of David or the experience of David, we can understand that and maybe we can relate to it a bit. In Psalm 42, David catapults from deep melancholy to celebratory highs. And then he crashes back down again. It really is an emotional roller coaster ride. But through the vulnerable expression of David's battle between mania and depression... We found three keys or three tools of encouragement in Psalm 42. An appetite for God, a resolve for God, and a hope in God. We call them implements of encouragement. The second part of that passage goes on the fact that God is always able, is ever able to lift us up. And he uses these three tools. If you missed that message, it has been recorded and is available, but I I don't want to re-preach it right now because Psalm 42 leads us to Psalm 43, which is where we want to land this morning. Psalm 43 is a continuation of Psalm 42. There has been some debate whether it was originally recorded as one psalm and was split up after, or whether it was a clerical error or a mistake that was made, but we have nothing to verify that by, so we're going to assume that Psalm 42 and 43 were written as separate psalms. Most likely, Psalm 43 was written as an extra stanza to verse 42 after the fact. That is why it has what we would call the same chorus in chapter 42, verse 5 and 11, and then we see it again in chapter 43, verse 5. So it is a continuation in somewhat of the same thought. It's a continuation of the same mentality or the same problem or the same position That David is in. But there is distinction between Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Psalm 42 is all about the emotion. It is about introspection. It is David talking to himself about how he feels, basically. And if you take the time to look through it and to look at all the personal pronouns that are used in Psalm 42, you can't help but come to the conclusion he's talking about himself. He's looking at himself. He's examining himself. He's expressing his own situation. He says, my soul, my tears, I remember, I went, my soul, within me, on and on it goes. It's all about this emotional turmoil that is taking place within David. He's expressing and is exposing this inner turmoil. And that's good for us to see in limited amounts. It's good for us to hear in limited amounts and even to reflect on. It gives us an insight into this emotional battle of the one who is called a man after God's own heart, called that by God. It's amazing to me. It's astounding to me that this emotional wreck that you see in Psalm 42 is called a man after God's own heart. Now, that does not mean that God is an emotional wreck, but it shows that we can still have a holy desire for God and a heart that pleases Him even when we are emotionally volatile. Some of you probably need to hear that. God looks on you with love with favor, even if your emotions are all over the place at points. I think, actually, that God delights not in that volatility of your heart, but in the sensitivity of hearts. And I think that is what is meant when God calls David a man after his own heart. He was tender-hearted and compassionate, as God is. So Psalm 42 is the expression of that tender heart, even if it does wrestle with the swings from high to low. But Psalm 43, while a continuation of Psalm 42 takes on a slightly different tone, and I want to look at that tone this morning. It's no longer just the expression of a heart in turmoil, but it is the prayer of a heart in turmoil. It is no longer about the roller coaster ride that David found himself on, but about God who was able to lift him even in the midst of that. It's no longer about the personal pronouns in 42, but primarily about The God who sees and hears that turmoil and is ever ready to intervene. And Psalm 43 is no longer subjective, but it is far more objective. In other words, it isn't about how David feels, which is relative, as much as it is about what God can and will do, which is objective. It is much more concrete in Psalm 43. With that in mind, I have titled this message, Prayer for the Discouraged, rather than the roller coaster ride of faith, in the case of David, for one who was discouraged and brought up to encouragement, but this is the prayer for the discouraged. So I want to read Psalm 43, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we have opportunity to be here, to gather together, and to worship you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of opening your word and reading your word and hearing the communication of God to man. We thank you that it is your revelation. It's not ours. It isn't something that's been thought up by man. It is your utterances through man. And we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would enable us to submit to the authority of your Word and to to glean the truths that are in your Word and to grow by your Word. And we ask that your Spirit would equip us and enable us to hear, to receive, and to implement that which your Word requires of us. We ask that you would enable us in this time to to desire and to will, to walk according to your will. I ask that you would give me the ability to present your word in such a way as to give you glory and honor and praise. For Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance, and my God. Amen. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you wouldn't pick up the difference, unless you've just read it, between Psalm 42 and 43. But there is a distinct difference there. And I pray that that you're able to catch that difference in tone. If you don't know it, then go back and read 42. And you'll see that there is a distinct difference here in tone. And yet it is a continuation of Psalm 42 but with a different emphasis. And I'm glad of that different emphasis. As helpful as it was to be given those tools of encouragement, Psalm 42 still left us thinking about ourselves, or about David in that case, to a certain degree. Whereas Psalm 43 takes the focus off of ourselves, and it places the focus on God. He is what is necessary for the child of God to be lifted out of discouragement. So we cry out to Him. And this is a prayer to God. I see there being three portions to this passage or three things that David is praying for. And so three things for us to pray pray as well when we face difficult or discouraging times. David prays in verse 1 and 2, Lord, intervene for me. David prays in verse 3 and 4, Lord, restore me. And then David prays in verse 5, Lord, establish me. Now that's just my breakdown of it. It doesn't actually pray those words, okay? But we do see in verse 1 and 2 that there's this desire that God would intervene on David's behalf. I was tempted to title that point, Lord, vindicate me, because he prays that. In the New King James, that's the very first word, vindicate me. But the idea of vindication doesn't cover the second plea that is in the same verse, which is that plea, Lord, deliver me. But vindication and deliverance both fall under the intervention of God. David is asking God to step into his situation and to act on his behalf. And that is what we want God to do for us as well, isn't it? We want God to step into our situation, and for us to be able to see Him step into our situation, and to intervene, to, to act on our behalf. But we do understand that we have the perfect advocate, the one who is continually intervening, who is mediating, who is continually before God the Father, Jesus Christ. But we still rightfully cry out to God, asking him, God, please intervene. God, please, in this situation, act on my behalf. May I see your hand at work on my behalf. And for David, it was a very real and a very physical need, assuming that this is the voice of David. He has been recently forced to flee from Jerusalem. We can see why he desired God's intervention. By deceit, his throne has been stolen, and the treachery lies close to home. Comes from his own son. Now that same son is seeking to kill him. Can you imagine how wronged David must have felt in this situation? No wonder he wanted God to vindicate him, to intercede for him, to intervene for him, and to deliver him. This whole situation that David is in, it reeks of betrayal and contempt. We understand from 2 Samuel chapter 15 that Absalom had been plotting this coup against David for four years, or probably longer, because he's actually been working at it for four years. For four years he has been sitting in the court and turning the hearts of the people away from David to himself. He's been deliberate about this. We see from 2 Samuel chapter 15 that after David fled from Absalom... Absalom had some 12,000 men at his disposal to pursue David. That's a lot of people to rise up and revolt against you. And not just revolt against you. These were people who were your subjects and are now 12,000 of them willing to go out and kill you. So David cries out to the Lord. God, intervene for me. Lord, vindicate me. Lord, deliver me. David is saying, God, set this situation right. Make it right. And wouldn't you want that? If you were in that case, wouldn't you want to be vindicated? We get out of sorts. We get our knickers in a knot when we feel even slightly wronged, don't we? If if we feel like our rights have been slightly bruised, we want immediate vindication. I do, anyways. But have we ever been so wronged as to have our own family out to kill us? or ever been so wronged that an entire nation is set against us wrongfully? But we do have a sense of that injury, don't we, that that David is expressing. We know what that's like. We live in an age where to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be ridiculed and possibly shunned. We live in an age where Christ is mocked and Christian values are denigrated. And you've probably seen that. Anyone happen to read comments lately about places of worship or revival meetings having cases of COVID-19 spread through them? And if you've read the comments, you only have to read one or two to pick up this sense of loathing That certain individuals or society, to a whole, at least to a degree, has for the things of God, that they hate the things of God. And when that happens, to whatever degree you are wronged in that situation, you desire that God would vindicate you. You desire God to plead my cause against an ungodly nation as David did, and rightfully so. In this day and age of vilification of truth and slander of godliness, you pray as As David did, Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. But what you must not do is allow the ungodly nation, the deceitful and unjust people, to drive you into discouragement. Rather, cry out to God and trust Him to vindicate you. Trust Him to deliver you. Trust Him to intervene. And whether that appears instantaneously, as we would like it to, or whether we have to wait until eternity, It is good for us to trust in God to do that work rather than to attempt necessarily to do it on our own. One day we will be vindicated. Your stand for truth, your stand for righteousness, your stand for Christ will be vindicated or that attack against you will be corrected. But today... We can't necessarily guarantee that immediately he's going to vindicate us or that he's going to deliver us, but we can trust that he is still intervening. He is intervening by giving strength. It takes the strength of God for us in those situations, for David in that situation. He says, oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. And then he says, for you are the God of my strength in verse 2. Another version says, you, God, are my stronghold. That means that my place of security, my place of refuge is in God. He is the castle tower to which we flee when we are under attack. He is our keeper, and that is encouraging. Encouraging because He is the perfect and complete source of strength. There is no other security like Him. And regardless of what the attack may be against us or how overwhelming it may even appear, even the attack of discouragement against us, we feel it coming in, we see it coming in, we know what's coming, and yet we can go to God, our place of security, our refuge, our strength, our stronghold. He is our strength. He is our stronghold. And it is beautiful, to be hidden in the stronghold of Jesus Christ. He is our strength. Now, the strength of God that David knows personally and expresses here has not kept him from fleeing for his life. We look and we think, okay, God has strength, and therefore it should keep me from this. But David is crying out in the midst of this. He's already run. He is running, we're assuming anyways. But he still acknowledges the strength of God in the midst of that. He recognizes that God's hand is a hand of strength, but he doesn't just leave it there. Because for him, it's not just platitudes, it's not just cliches. When he says this, he actually means it. So he says, God, you are my strength, but he still brings his complaint before God, still believing that God can rectify this situation, that God will intervene. He says, God, I've been cast off. And God, I'm in mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. And he really has been cast off, not necessarily from God, but he's been ejected as the ruler of Israel. So we ask God basically, why God have you allowed it? And then he pleads with God to restore him. And that leads us to the second aspect of this prayer for the discouraged. So the first aspect is asking God to intervene. And wherever you're at today, whether you're encouraged or whether you're discouraged, whether you're facing a battle or you feel like now is just a time of peace for you, it's never a bad time to ask God to continue to intervene on your behalf, to do a work in me and for me. Now David here is in this time of discouragement. He's in this wilderness running from Absalom or whatever situation he was. He asked God, it's not right, please intervene, make it right. But then he goes on and he prays God that you would restore me. David has literally been dethroned. And so he's asking God to rectify the situation. But he doesn't just simply state it like that. He doesn't say, God, please put me back on the throne in Jerusalem. He asks God, in an amazing expression here, to send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. That is a beautiful expression. I thought about actually passing over this psalm. It was a short one. We'd already done Psalm 42. We didn't really need to look at Psalm 43. But as I was reading through it, that sentence caught my attention. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. When when you have been wronged and you have sought God's intervention, have you sought it in that manner? Have you prayed down fire on those who have wronged you? Or have you said, God, lead me by your light and by your truth? When we feel rejected or ejected, as David did, do we ask to be led by that light of God and the truth of God? Do we, do we see the value that is there? The idea of light is simply that which illuminates, that which makes things visible as they truly are. David has been in a dark place. It's a dark situation emotionally and spiritually and psychologically, and he is asking God to pour out your light, God, on this situation. While wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites were led by a pillar of fire by day, by night, sorry. It wouldn't make much sense. The pillar of fire indicated God's presence, but also, practically speaking, it shone a light on their path. The light of God, revealing the path that he would want them to walk in. You've all, I'm sure, stumbled around in your living room using your small toe as a sensor for objects, And you come to a light switch and you turn it on and all of a sudden you don't need that sensor anymore, right? Why? Because you can see things clearly. David wants to see things clearly. And so he says, God, send your light and your truth and and lead me by them. When God sends his light, it shines infinitely brighter than your light bulb. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself is the light, isn't he? He's called the light of the world. He's called the light of men. He is that which illuminates. He illuminates mankind to our sin and to his righteousness and our need of a savior. He makes himself known and in so doing, he brings light into our lives. And there are so many beautiful pictures within the word of God when it speaks about light and and God being that light. And not just the person of God, but even his word. A well-known psalm, right? Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. And David is saying, send your light, send your revelation, send your illumination. David is asking for that of God. And in a very real way, he is asking for the very presence of God to bring that illumination. David is also asking God to send out your truth. Don't we need that? And it's interesting here, he's not just asking God to send out your light, God, and send out your truth so that others could see it and I'd be proven right. So that I'd be vindicated. But send out your light and your truth so that I may be led by them. For me, he's not asking this for others. We need God's truth and we need God's light to lead us in every area of our life and in every situation we face. We must seek truth so that we can walk by truth. And it's beautiful that that is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. And we have here within our hands the word of truth. So truth is not something that is secret or hidden, but has been revealed, and we are to be led in it and by it through the Holy Spirit. In your individual situation, whatever it is, trust that God will send out His light and His truth to lead you in it. Truth, it seems, is a bit of a nasty word today. That's all the more reason to seek it. It's not relative. It's not subjective. It is actual and objective, and it is wrapped up, and I think this is why it's so nasty to so many people, because it is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, send out your light and your truth, Lord, and let them lead me. Let them lead us. Do you want to be restored to your former position of favor, as David wanted? Do you want to be restored emotionally? Is there an actual physical situation that there needs to be restoration? And is there a relationship that there needs to be restoration in? Well, seek the light and the truth of God to lead you. And if you notice in this psalm, David goes on past literal restoration to his throne. And note as well that it's a progression. David doesn't just want to be restored to his position of authority or to his position of rulership, which he had a right to be, and he could have asked God for that. It wasn't just this kingship that he needs or that he wants, but it's to be restored to, he says, your holy hill, And then your tabernacle. And then he says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Because verse 3 and verse 4 is all tied together there. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me somewhere. There's purpose here and there's progression here. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. He wants to be back in Jerusalem. That's what God's holy hill is. That makes a lot of sense for someone who is fleeing and hiding in forests and in caves. He wants to go back home, but not just to the comforts of Jerusalem because it goes immediately beyond that. It goes beyond merely wanting to be returned to this place of comfort. He wants to go back to Jerusalem, but that it says he wants to go back and to be led by light and truth back to the tabernacle. That is a place of worship. We see a lot of that expressed from David in his time of exile, that he's longing to be back at the tabernacle. He's longing to be restored to this place of intimacy with God and of fellowship with others. He wants to be back where God resides and where the children of God worship. That's a good and valid desire. Do we desire that? We were created for worship, and I believe we were created to worship together, especially today in the context of the New Testament church. We were designed for this community of believers. It is good for us to gather together for the sake of worship and communion and mutual edification. I think it's particularly true that that is good for us when we are experiencing trials and struggles, as David was. When we are discouraged or struggling with discouragement, to gather together. We are one body with Jesus Christ as the head and we need each other to grow and to thrive. And David desires, he longs to be back in that place of fellowship and of communion with God. And he doesn't just leave it there either. He's not just content with being back in Jerusalem or even being back in the tabernacle. He says he wants to go to the altar of God. There's a little bit of a breakdown there actually, which is good that verse 3 ends with a period. Because he says, Let them bring me, that is light and truth, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. So that is what he's desiring that God would do by this light and truth that he provides. But then he says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God, my God. The altar was that place of offering and sacrifice. He wants to go back there. Once God has restored him to the tabernacle, he will go to the altar. Those restored to the place of God's favor and those restored to the gathering of God's people will be restored to involvement in the work of the Lord. They will come in confession and an offering, which is what is seen at the altar. This isn't just a place to be, but it is a place to be involved. It is a place of sweet communion with God. It is, for the Jewish people, it was the most intimate place of communion with God. The most intimate place that they would know unless they were the high priest. They could not enter the Holy of Holies, but they could come to the altar... And there meet with God. They could come to the altar and there be forgiven. They could come to the altar and there leave their sacrifice. Whatever that looked like. Whatever that involved. David wants to be restored to the city of God. He wants to be restored to the tabernacle. And if he was restored to them, when he is restored to them, he will go to the altar. David isn't even satisfied with that, which is beautiful. This is where we see David's true heart for spiritual restoration. Rather than just restoration to the throne. Once David is restored to that holy hill and to the tabernacle, then he will go to the place of sacrifice and he will enter the presence of God. He says he will go to God, my exceeding joy. David recognized that as important as the place of worship was for the Jews, it was vitally important. But he recognized that intimacy with God himself was of far greater importance than intimacy with the place of God. Intimacy with God himself was of far greater importance than intimacy with the place of God. David felt estranged from God in the wilderness. And he hated that estrangement. I think he hated it far more than he hated the wilderness itself. He felt cut off from the presence of God. And that was what he wanted restoration in, the presence of God. Do we long for intimacy with God? Is he our exceeding joy? He says, I will go to my exceeding joy. I was convicted by that thought. as I was convicted by the first few verses in Psalm 42. That's where David says, As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. I I know God by grace through faith. I've been reconciled to him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But is he my heart's desire? And is he my exceeding joy? Is he your exceeding joy? Is he where you find peace and contentment and happiness and fulfillment and meaning and purpose, satisfaction, all of these things? Is he your exceeding joy? He should be. There is no good reason why he is not, except that we... Choose not to find that in him. He is the only true source of exceeding joy. We need, I think as David had, and that's why I so love this psalm, this prayer. We need to have a transformation of heart. I need to have a transformation of heart that God would change our hearts, change my heart to seek after him and him alone. That God would change my heart to find in Him my exceeding joy. And not just... We as believers, I think especially conservative believers, we tend to think long term, right? God, one day you will be my exceeding joy eternally. David's not saying, okay, God, take me home now so that you can be my exceeding joy eternally. But he's saying that when I'm restored, I will go to the altar and to God. Today, present tense. My exceeding joy. God is the only exceeding joy. We continue to see David responding to God's restoration. Here he says. He says, yes, once I've been restored to the holy city and to the tabernacle, I will go to the altar and to God, my exceeding joy. And then what does he say? I will praise you. With David, it was with a harp. But whatever it's with. On the harp, he says, I will praise you, O God, my God. The joy of restoration to intimacy and relationship with God will cause a smile to appear on our lips and a song to leap off or out of our mouths, whether you're musical or not. Restoration to God and to the place of God and to the people of God results in exceeding joy for the child of God and praise from the child of God. I'll say that again, restoration to God and to the place of God and to the people of God results in exceeding joy for the child of God and praise from the child of God. So in this prayer for the discouraged, we see David cry out to God, Lord, intervene for me, and then Lord, restore me, and so we cry out the same. And thirdly, we see this cry and we cry out, Lord, establish me, in verse 5. We've looked at this same thought expressed twice in Psalm 42, so it'll be a little bit shorter here. It's a little bit of self-inquiry along with a statement of determination. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. He's looking forward here. He's still in the wilderness, but he's looking forward, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This verse has resolved, and we mentioned that two weeks ago, resolve to hope in God in spite of his current dilemma. And that resolve is based on the confident expectation, our hope in God. God will intervene. We have hope and confidence in that. God will restore so I can trust him. He is faithful and true. He is perfectly trustworthy. He will take this place or time of discouragement for David and prayerfully for you and turn it out for your good and for his glory. And so David says, I shall yet praise him. And we respond, I shall yet praise him. No matter how dark I may think this night is, He is the help of my countenance and my God, so I shall yet praise Him. Or as the NIV says, He is my Savior and my God, so I shall yet praise Him. When you have walked through a dark valley and you have come out the other side, whether in this life or you've come out in the next, you find yourself secure and established in Jesus Christ, confident in Jesus Christ, and so able to praise Him. David is confident here. He has confidence that God is the help or the savior. And I like that it says in the New King James, the savior or the help of my countenance. That is, God is the one who lifts his eyes up and lightens his face up. God is the one who sets us securely on the rock of his love. And we have a firm foundation in him. And it's not just that platitude, but a present reality that lifts us and transforms us and illumines us. It reminds me of the Psalm Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it's the psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, strangely enough. So it's the same time period, we believe. But he says, Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head the help of my countenance, the one who lifts up my head, the one who lifts up my face, the one who enables me in the midst of this wilderness, whatever it may look like, to have joy and to have peace and to have contentment and to radiate that to the world around him. Are you burdened this morning? Are you weary this morning? Are you feeling attacked this morning? Or have you in the last week attacked by people, maybe attacked you feel by Satan himself? Or has the weight of sin beaten you down? Regardless of which of those situations it is, or if it's none of them, turn to God. Turn to God as David did and cry out to him. Not just with an expression of your emotions, as Psalm 42 was, which is a good psalm, but with a prayer to the God who hears and answers and will lift you up. Ask Him to intervene for you. Ask Him to restore you. And then enjoy His hand lifting you. Even lifting your countenance this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the the expression that is within these Psalms. And as we look back, Psalm 42, with the vulnerability of that, I ask, Lord, that You would give us hearts that are vulnerable to You open to you and to each other. That as we struggle and as we rejoice, we would be quick to share it, to speak of it. Keep us from hiding these things. So often, whether it's in our struggles or in our joys, we, we tend to think that it's private, it's just for myself. But in the vulnerable expression of it, Lord, there is, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to ourselves and expressing it as refreshing to others. It's refreshing to us as the body of Christ to come together in, in our hurts and in our strengths and to be open about them. So I pray that you would give us that ability. Lord, I thank you for that emotional expression in Psalm 42, for, that, for the volatility of it and yet for, the, for how concrete 43 is. That it's no longer about how I feel, but it's about the God who is able. The God who is able in the midst of everything. We thank you that you are you are powerful and you are at work. That you have not ceased to intervene. And so we ask, Lord, that today you would intervene for us. Whatever it is that we are going through actually or that we feel we are going through. That we would see and know your hand at work. We ask that you would restore us. If we feel that we have fallen or if we have fallen from your grace. In that sense, if we have sinned against you. Or even if we just we sense that things are not going according to your desire, your plan, or, or our good, we ask for your hand of restoration. And we ask as well, Lord, that you would establish us, that when you have lifted us up from that position of discouragement, or that trouble that we found ourselves in, when you have lifted us above it, Lord, that we would find ourselves planted firmly upon that foundation of Jesus Christ, and that our countenance would be changed because of it. The utterance of our lips would be praise to our God, and that through that, Lord, you would be glorified and exalted. You would be magnified in our life and in our words and in every aspect. That others around us would see it and be encouraged in Jesus Christ or be convicted even by the joy that we have. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.